Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are in our Reclaim series, and this one's called The Thing Behind Forgiveness. Question for you to start with today is, who in your life have you felt most judged by? Enjoy. We pressed pause for a few weeks to take some time to go through the passage on loving your enemies. And as we're in the Reclaim series, and as we're looking at the Gospel of Luke, we might need to stop sometimes based on where our community's at and the actual things that we have going on. But it was very evident to us that when we were talking about loving our enemies, that this isn't something that we want to talk about theoretically. This is something that we want to talk about very practically and to give tools and resources so that we can figure that out as a community. And so we're shifting now from loving our enemies, and Jesus is going to start talking about judgment, because it all goes together. That the whole Sermon on the Plain that Jesus presents in the Gospel of Luke goes together. It starts off with these Beatitudes, which is this counterintuitive world of blessed are the people who are poor and a warning to those who are rich, right? Blessed are those who are mourning and a warning to those who are happy. Jesus is trying to turn our consciousness and our perspective on the world upside down. What Jesus is trying to get us to understand is the whole world is not cause and effect, It doesn't always work out as a perfect mathematic equation that 2 plus 2 equals 4, that to be human is sometimes very difficult. And so Jesus innately puts in us this deeper reality that blessed are those who are the lowest among you. Because if you can see how blessed they are, then maybe you'll have the reality of seeing how blessed you are. Right? So Jesus starts there, but then understands this fact that as human beings, we struggle with actually living that out. Because we have all kinds of tribal and national and ideological factors that make us judge other human beings. So I'm an American. So clearly, I must be more valuable than the people who live on the other side of the wall, right? Or I'm a Christian. Clearly, there are Muslims. Or you've heard a million kinds of rhetoric throughout your life. I'm on the football team in high school, and clearly these people, what well, it doesn't matter what it is. We're built this way to compare and contrast one another, and Jesus is tackling that head-on in incredibly practical ways. So let's jump in in Luke chapter 6. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, or we'll all come back against you. Like, this is like getting real really fast, and there's some practical wisdom that will break apart here. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven. Give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. That phrase there, most of you wouldn't understand that because we don't have tunics and robes anymore, but in the ancient world, when you wore a tunic and a robe, you had this belt and this little money pouch. And so there's this phrase that's going on here that like this money pouch is going to overflow. So basically this is like saying, your bank account is going crazy right now when you're forgiving other people. All right? And for some reason, that's like that accent, Uh, (laughs) which was kind of Brooklyn and kind of just bad. I don't know what, uh, Brooklyn and bad. Yeah, there you go. Bad and bougie, that's what I'm saying. Uh, the amount you get, I'm, I'm so relevant, it's unbelievable. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's incredible. 
The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Then Jesus gave the following illustration. Can one blind person lead another? The answer is no. Uh, won't they both fall into a ditch? Students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained, and that's the key phrase for us today, but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. Any, and why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye? This is supposed to be comedic, by the way. Most of you don't know that Jesus has like Dave Chappelle skills, but he does. Right, he's pointing something else, like very comedic here. You can picture a speck in somebody's eye and you can picture holding a giant log in your eye. And if someone was walking around like that, you'd say, now that's ridiculous, right? There's something very weird about that. That's what Jesus is trying to do, trying to draw up some funny emotions. And you're like, oh yeah, that is silly. I do walk around like this all of the time. And I'm trying to deal with this little thing in this other person's eye here. We're not gonna spend a lot of time there because it's self-evident of what Jesus is trying to say to you. How can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of the speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. So, here's how we're going to tackle this passage. We're going to talk about these things. We're going to talk about judgment and condemnation. Then we're going to talk about the thing behind the thing that actually gets us to judgment and con condemnation. Then we're going to talk about the three demons that I think we all deal with as human beings. We're going to talk about depth, and then we're going to talk about breadth. Then if we're going to do that, we're going to talk about the president of the board. You know who that is. And then we're going to talk about cleaning your mirror. So if we can do those things, I think we can appropriately tackle this passage. Judgment and condemnation are something that we all deal with as human beings. And we do it for a lot of different reasons. Uh, we do it... For, for some of the reasons, because we think that we're better than people. So it's a conversation of power. Uh, how many of us spend so much time just comparing ourselves to other human beings, right? Uh, from like the simple things that maybe you did as an adolescent, they're skinnier than me, they're prettier than me, they're more athletic than me, they're more this than me, they're more talented than me, they're whatever. Everyone's either something more or I'm not enough. Anyone been there in their life? The rest of you are liars. Perfect. Okay, so... It's where we spend our time as human beings sometimes. We just judge ourselves against other people, and we do that at times for the sake of power because what we're really trying to do is affirm our own ego and our own health. I love sometimes when people are like, I don't like Joel Osteen. That guy doesn't like preach a gospel that's anything. I'm going to give you a little secret about Joel Osteen right now. Joel Osteen is giving 20 million Americans what they never got as little kids. You are the best bike rider I have ever seen, and God thinks you are the best bike rider that anyone has ever seen right? That's all that he's doing. So don't condemn that thing. That's important. Some people didn't get that. Some people didn't have a parent or a teacher or a person in their life who kept patting them on the back and saying, you are the best. You are the best. You can be president. You're not going to be president, but you don't know that you're three, right? <laughs> and so what we do when we don't get that kind of reinsurance and that health in our lives, we judge people and we condemn them and we compare ourselves to them because we want to feel better about ourselves. Sometimes we judge people just because we want to be right. This is a good one in the church. Um, and I mean like in the church everywhere, because I find it so fascinating that in Protestantism, right, we challenge Catholicism because the Pope has too much power and is kind of has an exclusive relationship to what truth is supposed to be. And now we have 100,000 denominations in Protestantism each of them with their own mini popes, sometimes mini popes in that church, who now has the power and authority over truth, right? You so want to be right, you're gonna protest the people that you came from because you are convinced that God is on your side. And that's a very convenient place to be in 
when God is on your side and everybody else is wrong? Anyone ever been there in that kind of world, right? Another thing that we do, and this is, these are the three demons, by the way, is power, being right, and success, is we just live in a world where we want to get ahead of everybody else. Um, and so we have a lot of ways that we justify this in, in our own minds, right? We can talk about caring for the poor and caring for the needy and doing whatever, but we live in this really complicated world where we justify our morality and our ethics all the time of getting ahead, whether that's like our ecological morality and ethics, right? Or the personal things that we do. I don't say that as condemnation. I say that in the reality of we're kind of just hardwired this way as human beings to want to be successful. There's like evolutionary parts of us that want to just run and be in front of the pack. That is just the way it works. But here's the truth about all of this. This is a very myopic and minimal perspective of the world. You have a very short gaze and sight for what's actually happening when you're living in judgment and condemnation. Because most of what you're doing here is negative. It's all about comparing yourself to what you're not or to what others are. And then most of the time that you spend here, you're really focusing in a superficial external world about what's going on, and you don't really take the time to go deeper. Well, here's the really challenging part of that. Most religions are built off of this, right? They're built off of a false morality that is generally very cultural to what's going on. Jesus was very aware of this and challenged the religious conservatives of his days all the time. He would say things like, you keep worrying about what kind of foods people put inside of them, but it's not what goes into a human being that matters, it's what comes out of them. You keep worrying about who washes their hands where and how much work they're doing on the Sabbath or all of these other cultural morals, and you're missing the reality and opportunity for deeper depth. Because if you keep focusing on this external stuff, you're gonna have a myopic, exclusive, small view of the entire world. And because your view is so small and you're at the center of it, you're generally gonna think that you're all of these things, right? You're powerful, you're successful, you got it figured out and you are right, my friend. And what a convenient place to live in. Now you can know that and you can experience someone here and you can have a million conversations with them for the next 10,000 years, but until anybody is really willing to do deeper work, you're gonna to continue to live in this place because the very system of self and the external systems that you're operating in are telling you that you are correct. Again, churches, every religious group is built off of this. And some of those things are really good, Right? We do it for a sense of community. We do it for a sense of tribalism. We do it for a sense of purpose. And yet Jesus knows that. He says, this is where we all start and we need that sense of security, but we have to branch out from here. Right? And we have to branch out from here so that we don't judge and that we don't condemn people all the time. Because the problem with living in this world where we're externally judging and condemning others, the truth is we're probably really doing that to ourselves. And so we live in a ton of fear where we're judging ourselves all the time, and where we're condemning ourselves all the time. And that's no way to live. And it becomes this vicious cycle where you critique them more because you feel worse about yourself. And then now because you feel worse about yourself, now you critique them more. And on and on it goes because you want some sense of security. So Jesus blows the whole thing up and he begins to talk about forgiveness. That forgiveness is a thing behind the thing. That you gotta get deep yeah, that's 
I don't even know what those are, letters or whatever. That's forgiveness. <laughs> I want to introduce you guys to Hebrew. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be fun. That's bad. Okay, so forgiveness is this deeper reality that we have that goes beyond condemnation and beyond judgment. But because forgiveness forces us to look outside of this myopic perspective. Forgiveness immediately puts us into a place of self-awareness or ownership that says this, I might not be the most powerful person in the room, and that's okay. I might not be right. Who would have thought? There could be other people that are more successful than me, and that's okay. But until you're ready to own that, it's really, really, really hard to deal with judgment and condemnation, which is why Jesus starts on the surface level and then brings us into this deeper reality. Because what Jesus is trying to do is to give us a much broader perspective of the world and what's going on. And so Jesus has to take us deeper within ourselves to deal with what's going on here. That's why in the next part of the passage, Jesus starts talking about this reality of, is there any student who's greater than their teacher, right? Can the blind lead the blind? The answer is no. That what Jesus is showing us is he's showing us a better way to be human. Something that I've said in here a million times, I'm going to say it a million more times, is part of the problem with Protestantism and sola scriptura is that we took the Bible so literally, we didn't end up taking it seriously. We were so busy parsing Greek words and figuring out who was the historical Jesus and did this really happen in JPEG? If you don't know what that means, praise God that you don't know that. But because we spent so much time there arguing the Bible to somehow prove that we were right or give more power to our tribe, that we miss the human narrative that was taking place in Scripture. That it's not about somebody who lived 2,000 years ago, right? Here's a little fun one, side fact. Why is it that Paul never mentions any of the stories of Jesus? They didn't teach you that when you were growing up. Isn't that fascinating? Don't you think that one of the greatest apostles of Jesus the Christ on this planet would tell a story about Jesus feeding the 5,000 or somebody being healed or, some, or, or dead people being raised from the dead? And yet Paul never mentions it even one time. Why? Because he was not interested in telling you about a Jewish rabbi. Because if you started telling you about a Jewish rabbi, then you were going to live in a myopic world where everyone was going to go try to move to Jerusalem and hang out with a Jewish rabbi. Instead, what Paul does is he starts telling you about this Christ. This Christ now is in every tribe. This, tri this Christ is now inclusive. This Christ is now universal. And so he avoids telling you the specific stories of Jesus so that you can encounter a universal Christ where you're already at. Because Paul knows from his experience in his tribe that he was already being judged and condemned by other people because he had encountered this Jesus the Christ. And so he avoided those pitfalls and told a bigger story. That's like a whole other sermon that I didn't mean to get into that. And that is like some really good stuff that I didn't learn when I was growing up because I had people wanting to tell me an exclusive story where I had a myopic view of the world. And instead of an inclusive story that opened me up to the reality that God sees every human being is blessed and is made in God's image, and as sons and daughters, and is loved, and that God enjoys them, right? That takes away all the power. That takes away all the control. That takes away all the need to be right, because you start seeing hum human beings in a bigger way. And you do that because you begin to have a deeper reality of who you are. And so forgiveness makes you move beyond just forgiving other people, but you begin the process of forgiving yourself. And why can you begin the process of forgiving yourself? 
because you start in the gospel of Luke like Jesus does as an infant, as a baby, right? Figuring it out, you, you mature. And then just like in Jesus's ministry, you start with God declaring over you a little Joel Osteen. You're the best little bike rider there ever was. That's what's happening in Jesus's baptism. You're my son. I love you. I need to cut the Joel Osteen accent out at this point, right? And I enjoy you. And why is that? Is we start there before you've done anything and before you haven't done anything. And if you can start there, then you can forgive yourself for all of the ways that you've judged yourself. And then hopefully you can begin to forgive others for all the ways that they've judged you. That is really easy to say. That takes a lifetime to work out. It takes a lifetime to unwind, to rewind, and to undo the narratives that have been in each of our heads and our minds. And so part of the reality of this for Jesus is taking his disciples on a journey in which they see Jesus living this thing out, living into the human experience in a different way, where Jesus doesn't seek being right. When he's challenged with questions about who's going to be right, he just asks them more questions, right? that there are 196 questions that Jesus has asked and he answers to, and he responds with 300 more questions. That means that he's inviting us into mystery. That means that he's inviting us into faith. That means he's inviting us into a world that is gray and that it's not all clean cut, because that's where we discover what it means to be us, what it means to be us, right? And that's a really beautiful road to go on. And so we got to learn forgiveness. And then Jesus wants to open us up to a greater world that I think is, is really rooted in this idea of how do we understand ourself and how do we understand systems? And what I mean by that is how do we understand our interior lives and then how do we understand our external lives? That the external world that we live in gives us voices that tells us who we are. There's a million external systems that each of us participate in that have judged us, condemned us, or given us a narrative of what it means to be human, right? And they're not doing it for malicious reasons at times. Uh, American ideology is not doing it for malicious reasons. It's trying to get you to buy into the tribe. It wants you to put your hand over the heart when the F-16s fly over and they want you to cry when you see the troops, right? And we want, like, that's, that's the point of it. The point of it is to say, yeah, I'm a part of this thing. That's true, like, at the football game of go blue, not the red ones, definitely not the red team, right? Like, that's a part of it. We want to feel a part of something. That's not malicious why it's doing it. They're trying to bring you into a sense of something bigger than yourself. But sometimes what happens is, because we've so bought into that ideology about what we're supposed to be and maybe not what we're not, that we are damaging to ourselves. All the way we say, when you've pushed the dominoes further enough down, you might even kill another human being based on that ideology, right? Because that external system wants you to buy into the narrative of who you are. Some of these systems for you are your family systems. This is who you gotta be. We're a Christian missionary organization. We do not have openly gay people in our organization. If you want to be a part of the family, you cannot do this. You cannot do why. I used to work at a church where they would tell me, no problem, drink the beer, Corey, but just never do it in public. I'm like, that's weird. <laughs> so I can just like live secretly, but in public, just, I am a pastor. No, that's weird, right? No, we shouldn't do that. And we should challenge those narratives that tell us to be two different kinds of human beings. We want to live holistic, integrated, fulfilled lives. And so Jesus challenges that. And so then what happens is, is that the only way we challenge that is we, as we have depth within ourselves. So we have all of these practices that give us the opportunity to have depth about figuring who we are as ourself. Some of those are like contemplative practices. There's like meditation, 
and there's prayer, there's opportunities to look through scripture, there's therapy, there's spiritual direction. Some of you just need to like go on a jog, right? These are opportunities to allow and stop all of the external voices from telling you the narrative of who you are as a human being and for you to stop judging and condemning yourself and others, hopefully begin to allow some stuff to work itself out and say, no, this is who I really am. And I can be okay with that. That doesn't mean there's not years of words and stuff piled up on top of that though. But I know that at the very core of who I am, it's a different message and it's a different narrative. And the beauty of that is that the deeper that we go within to ourselves and where we see that God is giving us our true identity, I think it only gives us more breadth and more width to have a broader perspective of the world. The more that we can forgive and honor ourselves, the more it also opens us up to see a diversity of people around us and that maybe that they're loved and cared for as well. So whatever that practice is for you, the point that Jesus, I think, is always offering, there's a reason that Luke always says, and then Jesus was praying, and then Jesus went and healed all these people, and then he went back to pray, is that Jesus is showing us this reality of finding a deeper internal truth about who we are, and then we have the capacity, my voice really cracked there, and the bandwidth to go do all these other things and to care for other human beings as they are. If you don't have the depth, you will never have the breadth. That's just the way that it works. You have to be able to love yourself and forgive yourself if you're ever gonna be able to do it for other people. You cannot transmit what you do not have. That's just a reality. You need to be the president of the board in your life. You may have a lot of other external voices in your board internally that are going on. That might be your parents, that might be your other members of your family, that might be your friends, that might be that pastor, it might be that podcast that you listen to. I don't know what it is. We all have a myriad of people in the board in our life and we listen to their voices when we make choices. But what Jesus is always trying to show you is, wonderful, there's a million external voices out there, but trust the internal voice that is guiding you. And the whole scriptures are always trying to lead you towards that, right? Elijah is on a mountain and there is a fire and there's an earthquake and there's the wind. And if you guys have been in the church at all at any time, you know what happens. He doesn't hear God's voice in any of that. He hears a still voice inside of him. That the whole scriptures are leading us to understand that God is already within us. Why does Jesus talk about the temple being destroyed? Why does Paul constantly try to remind us of, stop going to other temples for external authority. You are already a temple of the Almighty. God is already within you. The Spirit is already within you. Mind this thing, and it's gonna teach you a different reality about the entire external world. It doesn't mean that you won't have external voices, but you are the president of that board. And so some voices, you're gonna have enough maturity and enough growth one day that you're gonna tell those voices to shut up. Those demons might not go anywhere, but they don't get a voice anymore. And you're going to begin to find other external voices that can begin to tell you about who you are and your truer self. And so the last part that I want to talk about is clean your mirror. If you don't start with the internal work, then it's really hard to do the external work. Religion goes bad when it tries us to get to do the external stuff first, and we haven't done any of the internal work, right? I was the little boy who was constantly asking my youth pastor, well, how far is too far, right? But like, what if my hand only goes here and not here? Like, these are the things I wanted to know because I hadn't done the internal work. I hadn't done it. This is not a game that God is playing with me to create an arbitrary list to see if 13-year-old boys don't put their hands on boobs or not. 
The God who made supernovas and subatomic particles is more worried about my identity than all of the things that are happening external because God's not playing a game with my life. So the sooner that I have healthy and wise people that teach me about my true identity, the more it changes my external practices anyways. I'm not even asking the question as a 13-year-old of how far is too far. And some of you are still asking that question in all kinds of ways, ethically and morally in your life. And God is saying, I am interested in some other questions, like your true identity. Can you forgive yourself? And can you love yourself? Because that's going to change your external practices. And so this phrase of cleaning the mirror is, you can only control your mirror. That is your life and the things that you reflect out. You can do some other work ahead of time, like increase your depth so that you can increase your breadth. You can work on being the president of the board of your life so that you don't let all these external voices shape you. But after you've done all of this internal work, then you're going to reflect something back out into the world. And so clean your mirror because you can't clean anybody else's. But do it in an order that's going to make sense and actually be hurtful. That's actually going to be helpful and not hurtful <laughs> in the world. We're going to ask these questions, and then we're going to get out of here. What are the external and internal voices in your boardroom? Find those same people. Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.